0: Welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. Tina Patel is the founder and CEO of the University of Dog Lando, a dog training and behavior company based in Orlando, Florida. After originally being raised in Kenya, Tina came to the United States in her teenage life. Eventually, she discovered her passion for dog training and started her own company, Tina, thank you so very much for joining us today on Dog Save the People. Where are we speaking to you from?
1: Orlando, Florida.
0: Now, Tina, you are not uh, originally from Orlando, Florida.
1: Right. Uh, I was born and raised in Kenya, East Africa.
0: Okay. And, and where? Moved. And at what point did you come to the States?
1: Um, I moved here with my family just shy of me turning 16 so two months before I turned 16.
0: Wow and what was that like?
1: (laughs) At that time um, the most horrible thing in my life.
0: (laughs) I'm sure.
1: (laughs) And um, a very devastating experience. Um, You know it's such a massive culture shock. Um, We had been to the United States once before when we were much younger and while we didn't have vivid memories the memories we had as children we didn't like it and I think for me particularly, what I struggled with most was at that age, I really thought I knew what I wanted to do when I grew up, right? So being taken away from that opportunity that truly exists as an opportunity, you know, in Kenya and is unlike anything that I would be able to do here, my dream was to work with elephants and um, when I was... Yeah, when I was 10 years old, I um, saw the president of our country set 12 tons of ivory on fire to make Mm. a statement against poaching. Yes. It stuck with me. It was a very visceral experience throughout my um, childhood, and it's something that resonated deeply, and it didn't seem, um, you know, talking about that here is a dream for many people and now has become a dream for me because it's something that's really so far in the distance and almost impossible to do without some massive life changes, right? Uh, But when you're there in that type of a country where, you know, those are career paths that are um, valid and, you know, pursuable, right? Like you can pursue them. Yes. So for years, it took me a long time to find my path and um, really appreciate life's events as a sequence of things that happen that position you for your purpose and your meaning. And you just have to be really open to that and sometimes surrender, you know? Uh, which I didn't have this concept when I was 16. <laughs> no, I don't,
0: I don't think many 16-year-olds do. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, but I learned very quickly to develop, you know, respect for those concepts. So, yeah, anyway, so here I am.
0: Wow, so at 16 and then from there on, you say that you, you know, eventually you discovered or a career path, a life path was revealed to you. Can you tell me a little bit about that that evolution in your life? yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a long period of time and uh, a lot happened during that period of time with a little bit of still holding on to fiercely this idea that I would return and that I would go back, you know, to Kenya Yes. with so much of my mind and thoughts saying, well, that's not real, you know. And also my parents saying that that's not real, that that would not be a possibility and I just need to abandon history altogether. Mm. And, you know, talking about the past was not something that, our family advocated for, and, yeah. and and I've learned a lot about that. In hindsight, I would have really, for me, if it was me and my kids in this situation, I would really honor that part and speak about it. You know, but I can understand for my parents why that was not something easy for them to do, and they didn't want us to just constantly hash on the, you know, the the past. Uh, I started off pursuing my degree in psychology. And I was a semester away from graduating and just on a regular call with my dad, which we spoke almost every evening, he said, you know, you're a semester away, any thoughts, any ideas what you want to do? And of course, the first answer was, well, I'm going back to Kenya. This is still (laughs) what I want to do, you know? And then I hung up and the reality again struck me, you know, that, okay, well, I'm really not, I can keep talking about this all I want, but that's not what's happening, Mm. right? And so I, I love animals. I've you know always loved animals and I've been fascinated by the human dog relationship that I was familiar with growing up. I think I was seven or eight and my dad challenged my brother, my sister and I to learn the times table. So from one through 12 okay. and whoever learned it the fastest and got every answer right would get absolutely anything they wanted. And so I said are you sure about that it could be anything and he said anything and I said what about a dog he said anything well I want that challenge and so <laughs>
0: <A> <laughs> So
1: yeah so um you know, meanwhile, they knew that I. it is likely that I would win this challenge. I'm, you know, my brother is super smart, so it wasn't a matter of I would win it from an intelligence perspective, but I would from a motivation perspective, you know. <laughs> so meanwhile, while I'm, you know, learning the times tables, they are researching where would we even get a dog from, because there's no breeders, there are no pet shops, in you know, in Kenya, and only the affluent people really got dogs, and we were certainly not. We grew up, you know, my parents grew up in poverty, and even when the very early part of my childhood, they were still in that position. So um, all of that is very raw for me, you know? Um, So asking for a dog was a big thing for our family and our status. So they researched different places and there was this one lady in all of Nairobi who had a farm and she bred Jack Russells and all her dogs were working dogs. Now, you know, obviously we have no idea what that meant and we also didn't know what a Jack Russell was. But we ended up with this stinker and crazy, crazy dog, And but it's so interesting because when I look at where my life is right now and I look at all the events that led up to where I am, he was the start of that and I didn't even know. And so here he is, this Jack Russell who like literally could catch any bird in full flight, every night had some sort of critter in his kennel, would bite <laughs> you if you tried to take it out, has bitten so many people, you know, he would run away constantly, And I would be the one just, you know, crying and crying and trying to follow him. And he's so fast. Anyway, so all these things, you know, going on in terms of what was happening for me is experiences that I was collecting as an owner. Yet the most rich experiences and the ones I found tremendous joy in being part of were those dogs that lived as village dogs. And they were just street dogs, you know, in perfect harmony. Meanwhile, here's the contrast for us. Look at our dog. Like it didn't look harmonious at all for our family. You know, it was just a constant struggle. And so um, anyway, so put that onto the mind and list of experiences. So here I am graduating a semester away. And I thought when I hung up with my dad, I just typed in careers with dogs and a whole bunch of programs related to dog trainers came up. And amongst one of them was a school in New York, and it was a six-week program. So I immediately called my dad again and said, hey, look, I found this six-week program. It starts in two weeks, which would mean that I would have to delay my last semester. He's a big advocate for experience and learning through experiences and driving yourself towards a passion. He's always been a huge advocate for that. You've got to always do something you absolutely love and not spend any time doing things you don't find joy in. And so for him, it wasn't a difficult answer to say, yes, do it, you know, go. And so, yeah, I took off and went for six weeks and went into this dog training academy. And it was one of the craziest experiences for me during that time because it was so contradictory to what my ethical and moral beliefs about the human dog relationship were and what was actually happening in front of me. And I really didn't have the language or the thought process to actually make sense of it until way down in my journey, you know, years later, I remember the first thought was what if dogs have evolved successfully with humans for so many thousands and thousands of years, what do we need dog trainers for? You know, what are they going to teach our dogs that dogs don't know already to do, or if Mm. they were given the choice to make their own decisions what is it that they would not choose to do? It just didn't make sense to me. What became so evident was the need for training and the desperation that people had stemmed from the environments that we have taken dogs away from. Yes. So they know how to be successful. They are superb and fantastic and can still be amazing as a species as well as at an individual level, but not within the environments and the context we're asking them to live with, live within. While I was there, I also discovered this concept of doggy daycare, and <laughs> I had never heard of such a thing, and I thought, this is just bizarre, you know? Of course, only here we would think of these concepts, right? of right? course. I started off on First Avenue in Manhattan, and I thought, I'm just going to walk all the way I can over this Saturday and Sunday and see what I would encounter and stop at anything dog. and sure enough, that's how I found out about dog daycares. And what an experience for the people who are watching, right? And uh, uh, on their way to work and taking that moment of just, oh, look at that dog. Oh, look at that dog. Meanwhile, you enter this building and these dogs are going nuts, right? Like just the stressors of constant like people looking in and just the invasion and us having absolutely no idea of our influence on their behavior or so many different things came about for me. And I'm collecting all of these experiences in terms of, you know, just recording it in in terms of data. And it wasn't until I came back here and was putting all my thoughts together. And I thought, okay, I think I know why I'm here. I can offer a lot more to this industry than others might only because of my experiences growing up with animals in their native environments and respecting them for what behavior can look like when they have options and access to nature. And this is a foreign subject to people over here because that's not the way we live, or the majority of people. If we were to create a place for pet dogs, for domesticated restricted dogs, for companion dogs, if we were to design the ultimate daycare, paradise, haven, sanctuary, whatever, call it what you want, place, environment, what is lacking in our environment right now that we could offer them and they could feel whole? Space was a big one. The freedom to roam was a big one. The freedom to access and demonstrate choice was a huge one. The freedom to move away from threat and conflict was a huge one. And so anyway, I uh, put all these thoughts together and I presented this concept to my dad and said, hey, look, to answer your question, what do I want to do when I you know, graduate a semester from now? This is what I want to do. I want to open an enrichment center for dogs. And I got to tell you, by the way, this whole concept was on 50 acres. And he was like, yeah, you clearly need to go and get your MBA because you, know, you, have, no, you have no concept of what it takes to run a business or even how to begin a business, right? Like, so while I'm doing my MBA, he just couldn't understand that one, people would live with their dogs in this way and that they take their dogs to daycare. And second, that daycares are a successful business and they even exist because at that time in Florida, there weren't any. And so he said, I challenge you to find 30 daycares. They can be anywhere in the United States. I want to know they exist and I want to know that they're successful. I challenge you to find them. So I did. I found 32. I called all of them and set up um, whether it was meeting with a manager, taking a tour, spending a day, volunteering, picking up, you know, after the dogs, whatever they would allow me. And he funded for me to go and visit these 32 doggy acres and came back and wrote a report on what worked for them, what didn't work for them. And what is it that I would do differently if I had the ability to do differently? And that's how the concept of canine enrichment began.
0: That's amazing. Well, first of all, you had the coolest dad ever. He <laughs> sounds amazing. And, um, so supportive. And I think that, you know, all of us growing up, that's really what we long for is to have a a family and a parent or parents that are supportive. And, and the fact that he really encouraged you to follow your dream, but also encouraged you to do it in a way that was step-by-step and gave you the opportunity to really get the background of education and information. What a cool guy. So, Mm -hmm. um, you're a lucky, lucky person to have grown up with him and, um, I love the fact that you went around the country looking at different businesses that you wanted to learn from because that's really the only way to kind of figure out what it is that as you said was missing or that you would do differently. So tell me about the the University of Doglando.
1: Well, it's an enrichment center for dogs. When I first started Doglando in 1999, the word enrichment did not exist when we were talking about dogs yep. or for that matter any other domestic animal. Enrichment was only being used in the work of zoos and aquariums. With the concept of enrichment as it applies to us, what we wanted to do is to say, let's move away from numbers. Let's move away from how many animals we can bring and occupy in this small land. If we were to move away from numbers and create a space, a mini village for dogs, let's be dictated by their movement and their behavior to identify what our occupancy would look like. For me, it was a massive opportunity not to recreate what there was, right. but to draw upon what was unique for me and say, the day we opened Dog Lando, it was with the mindset that we were a working laboratory. And our goal was to, knowing what I know, knowing what I would do differently, implement that, take action in a completely different way than people know to see if we can solve a problem and once we make these discoveries to take this information and educate the people in our industry and it's the only way change transformative change can happen and so for the last 15 years that's exactly what we've done is you know we've treated Dogloundo as this working laboratory and as a result everything we have done has been calculated has been measured We have time-tested and proven the concept through the systems that we use and we've implemented successfully. And now we're in a position to teach it, right? So last October, we launched the Canine Enrichment Academy, which is um, for dog daycare owners, and we have six students in it. Wow, um, wonderful. Yeah, two are in the U.K., and the others are here in the U.S., Mm -hmm. and our goal is one person at a time. Over a period of three years, teach them everything that we know that has made us unique and successful and allow them to uh, become ambassadors of this work.
0: Do you have a dog or dogs at home?
1: Yes, I do. We have uh, two dogs currently. One is, uh, both of them are rescues. One's a dachshund who is, uh, I think he might be going on 13 or 14. Uh huh. What is his um, name? His name is Tag. Yeah. The other one is Irie. She is, uh, we have a program called Puppy Breath where we take pregnant dogs. They give birth with us and their puppies stay with their mom up until 18 weeks of age. Mm, So more than two times, you know, double the amount of time they would at a breeder or anywhere else. And during that time, the mom and puppies are together and we train them. We house, you know, potty train them and then introduce basic skills to them. Uh, before their adoption we've been doing this project for seven years just as a pilot program to uh, see how well it works and just stopped last year to focus on fundraising we bought the land we have three and a half acres uh that we want to build on but now we just need um financially the money to put up this birthing center but anyway the reason i go into all of that is Irie uh was our last mom dog from that project from that program So she came from Puerto Rico.
0: So Tina, again, we can find your work at doglando.com. And do you have any other social media outlets?
1: Yeah, we're on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, We're not the best at social media, but we're on there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Where do we find you on Instagram?
1: Uh, Doglando, either Doglando or University of Doglando.
0: All right, beautiful. Thank you, Tina. Bye. Dog training is something that people have different philosophies on, and I always love hearing how different people integrate various ideas and experiences into their practices. I also identified with Tina's self-starter initiative and wanting to fully manifest her own vision across the board. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is a production of As It Should Be, a content studio, It's made with the support of our producer and editor, Jack Sommer. Special thanks to our composer and neighbor, Daniel Lampert, for creating the music for the show. You can subscribe to Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review or rating. You can also follow us on social media. You can also check out the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, at johnbartlettny.com. Enjoy a walk with your dog and make it a great day for both of you.